0: Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: It's so much more So tonight, we are going forward in our second study in the Gospel of Matthew, return to the New Testament. And as we go through Matthew's Gospel, we're here at that Gospel where it's Jesus being presented as the Messiah, the Christ, the King of the Jews. Not just the King of the Jews, but the promised one from the Scriptures going all the way back to the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and all those prophecies and the animal sacrifices, the Passover lamb, all these things, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel, Moses, the judges, the kings, it's all all moving in time, space, and matter toward the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we're told in Galatians that in the fullness of time that God sent forth his only son you know, to be born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law, the law of God. So he came to fulfill God's perfect law, which we can't do, to bring us to salvation and relationship with God through his life and his sacrifice, as Andrew was even just praying about gosh just being under the blood and the goodness of the Lord. So in chapter 1, we saw the genealogy of Jesus Christ and the birth of Jesus Christ. But here in chapter 2 of Matthew, we get something profoundly unique in the scriptures. We get an entire chapter where it's just Matthew. And the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we might often get a story that has three different versions or perspectives on that story. But here, chapter two, this all belongs to Matthew. It's just a unique text to him. And as we've seen the genealogy of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, we get the really only other scriptures pertaining to him. We would say the childhood of Jesus, but particularly The young childhood of Jesus, and I must say, maybe you've been like me, but in times past, when I read Matthew chapter two, I just kind of read through it like a road trip. It's just not my exit, you know. That's just, you know, I drive across country quite a bit with my wife, and this that's just not our exit. That's not. You just go by it. It's like that's not really there. And so I've always looked at Matthew two as a setup chapter or transitional chapter to set up chapter three and four and the things that come around. But tonight we are going to look at Matthew chapter 2 and Jesus, the young child. The title young child is used eight times in this chapter describing Jesus. He's a toddler. He's pre-K. I've never really thought to say, let's let's look at the events in his life when he's a toddler and in that helpless state, and he's he's a perfect toddler, by the way, and what that looks like, okay? So chapter 2, Matthew, here we go. We're going to read the entire chapter, and then we're... We're going to get to application pretty quick tonight once we frame it in the context. Now, so Jesus is born. His name's called Jesus because Jesus means Savior, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to save his people from their sins. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king, that is Herod the Great, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet Micah, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star Which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country for their own country another way. Now, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed from Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son according to the book of hosea then herod when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in bethlehem and its surrounding district from 2 years old and under according to the time which he determined from the wise men then was fulfilled what was spoken by uh, spoken of by jeremiah the prophet saying a voice was heard in rama lamentation weeping and great mourning rachel weeping for her children Refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelius was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So it's a historical record bridging his birth to ultimately how he comes out of Nazareth. He will be called in his adult life Jesus of Nazareth, he'll be identified with the city of Nazareth to distinguish him from all the other Jesuses, because Jesus was a common name at the time. It's a very interesting chapter. We have his parents, the Magi, the wise men from the east, which could be, and many speculate, are Jewish in descent, because as we're going through Ezra, we realize when the Jews came back from the captivity around 535 B.C. from Babylon and when Cyrus came to power and the Medo-Persian Empire conquered them and what was left to Judah and the, uh, the Jews that about 50,000 came back to rebuild that second temple. We're, we're reading it in Ezra right now on Tuesday nights. Well, history shows and based upon extra biblical records, there's probably at least one to two million Jews in the empire that stayed in that part of the world, the Babylonian, you know, Iraq, Iran area. So it's very likely that these Magi, these wise men from the east, had Jewish descent. But they came looking for the king of the Jews. They knew the star was taken to the king of the Jews, and of course, that's a problem with Herod the Great because he's the king of the Jews. He was a ruthless, cunning politician who loved power. He was tight with Caesar Augustus, and he knew how to survive in the changing political worlds of Rome, and he was very successful at it. He had multiple wives, at least eight, Josephus, the great Jewish historian, tells us many of them by their names. He didn't trust his wives, and he didn't trust some of his sons, so he actually accused one wife of adultery, I believe it was his first or second wife, and had her executed, and he killed those sons, he just was that guy. So you think, who kills babies in Bethlehem? Well, the guy that killed his own sons and executed his wife. That guy. It just tells you what kind of a person he was. He's a full tyrant, um, totalitarian, authoritarian, probably, you know, sociopath, psychopath, all the above. He was that guy. Herod the Great. He was not only cunning, but extremely successful with what he did. His building projects. The Western Wall in Jerusalem, the holiest site for the Jews was fortified by him. He's the man behind that. So Ezra's temple was built, and then Herod fortified that, and did many other types of things that like Solomon would have done centuries before. And he's well noted in the historical records for all that he did. His was a dynasty. He was an Edomian, which really makes him like a descendant of Esau, and many connect the Amalekites to him, actually. But he's an Edomian, so he wasn't really a Jew, but he grew up around Jews and understood Jewish culture. And he has this genealogy that comes from him, where he had these different sons from these different women, the ones he didn't kill, and then it's this and this first cousin's over here, and you know, Herodias, who had John the Baptist beheaded, her daughter Salome, married the uncle from over here, not the Philip, the Tetrarch, but the other Philip. If you look at it, you can just Google it and you try and connect the dots. And it's about four generations of a dynasty, Herod the Great, but he's the chief of it. So he's a key player here, and it says that all Jerusalem was troubled that these guys came looking for the king of the Jews. Yeah, they're troubled because they know he kills anyone who's a threat to him being the king of the Jews. That would have created uncertainty and instability for everybody. They were troubled. The kings of the earth don't like the king of the universe too much, right? That's why the psalm says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed? It's always been that way. So this is how it was in his coming. So you have his parents, the Magi, Herod the Great. These prophecies, there's four things fulfilled in the Scripture attributed to the prophets of the Old Testament. And then the dreams. Like, in a dream, the Lord did this. In a dream, the Lord spoke. And you're like, wow, this is is a unique chapter. There's like, there's moving parts. It's a pretty, actually, exciting chapter. These things happening. And with scripture being quoted, some seems obvious, but some's like, how, how does that work? So as we look at this chapter tonight, we are looking at Jesus, the young child, and the scriptures that he fulfilled and what they mean to us tonight. Because even though he fulfilled them as a toddler in this context, he fulfilled them as the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah for everyone who calls upon his name to be saved. And so again, we're looking at Jesus tonight. And one final thought before we get to application is I noticed something going over and over that there's a little bit of a chess match in this chapter between God and men, right? And I noticed you have now and then. In the chapter, it says now after Jesus was born. Now, this is what's going on. And then you have the response of Herod, verse 7, then Herod. So now this happens, then Herod. Then it says in verse 13, now uh, when the Magi departed, the Lord spoke and warned Joseph to get out of there and go to Egypt. And then verse 16, here's another move, then Herod, so now is the Lord and then is Herod. And then verse 19, it says, now when Herod had died, the Lord brought them back. See, the Lord's like now, then, now, then, now. Isn't that how it works with the kingdom, right? The Lord's doing the here and now, and he's on the throne. But the then is just all the efforts of the kingdom of darkness and the devil and men deceive, women deceive by him to try and counteract what the Lord does. But we're just reminded in this chapter what Corinthians says is the Lord catches the wise in their own craftiness. And he he always prevails. And no matter how often it seems like we went through this in 2 Chronicles when the line of David was down to one, the hidden child. No matter how close it looks like, it seems like the kingdom of God has been defeated by the kingdom of darkness. That .001% of the kingdom still in play will flip the script and turn it around. The Lord will always have the final say. And we see that in this chapter. You cannot stop. We cannot stop. Men cannot stop. No force in this universe can stop the will of the Lord as he determines it. For his universe... And for his prized jewel in the universe, you and me, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the young child, Jesus, is associated with three of these four scriptures that are fulfilled. The children being slaughtered is associated with Jeremiah. That's a separate one. But the three are very interesting because one is Jesus associated as a ruler and a shepherd in Bethlehem. The other is as the son of God being called out of Egypt. And the third one is being called a Nazarene. One is quoting the scripture from Micah, but not completely, but enough that it is contextually correct as to identify where the king would be born. The other one's like, I guess I could see that. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Hosea spoke those words, it would have been understood like Israel, the nation, is his son. But I can see how there's a deeper secondary prophetic meaning that Literally, now it's, well, it is, there, not whether I see it or not, there is a secondary prophetic, as we call that double prophecy. There's a second prophetic meaning to it, that Jesus is speaking really of Jesus coming out of Egypt, which who could have ever thought the Messiah would come out of Egypt, right? Did, did not see that coming. But here it is in chapter 2. And then the third one, the enigma of the three, is that he'll be called the Nazarene. The prophets say he'll be called the Nazarene. And yet there's no prophecies that actually say he's going to be a Nazarene. So you're like, huh, I'm a little bit of a head scratcher right there. i got to think about that one. So let's start with the young child Jesus and the prophecy concerning him being born in Bethlehem. Jesus was always going to come from the house of David. David comes from Bethlehem, the city of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He's, it was always going to come from Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus, Herod's buddy, sends a decree to register everybody to pay taxes. And we see in Luke's gospel, they had to leave where they were living in the north, Galilee, go down there to be registered for the census. God, just two young, beautiful people, probably teenagers, betrothed to be married. The virgin, the Immaculate Conception already happened. There they go. They're at the mercy of ruthless governments and power. They're gonna, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's just the way it is. If God says absolutely, emphatically, these are the details, then that's the way it is. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Of the house of David, from the line of the tribe of Judah, as a senate, we saw chapter one of Abraham. Abraham, father of the faith, then the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, house of David, here comes the king, King Jesus, there he is now in this text it says he's the ruler and he's the shepherd but in the original text of Micah it says the one who's going forth has no beginning or ending the fullness of the prophecy in Micah 5 2 is that this one coming in Bethlehem isn't just a shepherd and ruler, he's God and he's eternal, that's important In the context of the scripture they're quoting here to tell Herod and the Magi's where this young child, this king of the Jews, will be born, they only quote two-thirds of what it really entails to who this child is. He is the ruler, not just king of the Jews, but king of kings. And he is a shepherd, but he's God because he has no beginning or ending and no going forth, which Hebrews always talks, also talks about in the New Testament. So it's even implied in the Micah prophecy that it would be God who's coming to rule and be the king of Israel. But now just stepping back to the context of Matthew where it only is recorded the two things when the scribes in, uh, interpreted this passage, I draw your attention to who will shepherd his people. Tonight it's getting reminded that the Lord is our shepherd. David, of course, and we spent quite a bit of time with David when we were going through the Old Testament on Tuesdays, and it came into Saturday as well. David had the heart for God. The great King David, who lived around 1000 BC, he had the heart for God, the second king of Israel. God loved him. David loved the Lord. And David was the caretaker of his father's sheep. He was with the sheep. and Before he became the man that delivered Israel from Goliath and took on Goliath, The Lord had given him victory over a lion and a bear in rescuing his father's sheep. And he said to Saul, the Lord, deliver me from the bear and the lion. He will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. So he already had a testimony of faith as a shepherd, as a teenage shepherd. And we know he was proficient with the sling and he's a warrior and he loves the Lord. Now he wrote Psalm 23, that beautiful psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. He wrote that a thousand years before Christ came. When he had troubles with the Lord, he referred to the people of God as the sheep of God. And he understood that that's how God saw him as well. David truly was a king But in that role as king and a warrior, he saw God's people that he was over as the sheep, and he saw himself as being a sheep as well under the stewardship of the great shepherd, the Lord. In this prophecy of Micah, hundreds of years after the time of David, pointing us to Jesus, we are told the one who would come from the house of David would also be a shepherd. But this shepherd's a whole other level, right? Because there in John 10... Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down for the sheep. So tonight, we're reminded, after singing these beautiful worship songs with Andrew and Sophie, and just living our life, we're reminded tonight that Jesus is our shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that David spoke of, who had come from his own loins, if you will. And Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Worship generation, body of Christ. We're reminded that Jesus loves us so much tonight. Even though when this conversation was happening, in Herod's palace and the temple area, somewhere about 15 miles down the road, <laughs> there's a little toddler, like the toddlers in the IT room tonight. A little toddler running around. He's the perfect toddler. I can't say theologically that his first word wasn't no, but I don't think it was no, right? First word of is no, no, right? Can you imagine the toddler goes, yes. Now, Jesus, Jesus, you need to stay here and do this. Yes, right? Da in Russian, right? You're like, yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, who knows? He, his first word might have been no, but I'm thinking probably was yes. Because that's how you know kids are descendants from Adam. Because they say no, and they rebel against authority over them. What are you saying, Joy? I'm saying Jesus is the perfect toddler. He had no sin in him. Any cognitive sense of rebellion against the God's authority? None. So those perfect little is hanging out in Bethlehem in a toddler world with little toddler toys, and this conversation is going on in Jerusalem with all the, the power people, religious power people, the scribes and those dudes, and... Herod the Great and the Magi coming with their money, their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These, these, these power people, right? You know, as a little toddler, like, well, oh, take your first step. Oh, look, Jesus is walking. You can do it, like, right? The young child. Jesus, the young child. And yet, when they're talking about this scripture, when they're quoting this scripture, Herod's hearing the scripture, the Magi's hearing the scripture, and the scribes are declaring it, That toddler is going to grow up to become the shepherd who dies on the cross for our sins. Who willingly surrenders his life for our sins. He truly is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And not only did he do it to save us from our sins, but to come for us when we face the day of the Lord as well. Because yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For he's coming for us. The Lord is coming for us, and when we give our life to Christ, He's the author and finisher of our faith, and He's going to seal our faith on the day of the Lord. I spoke today at the men's ministry event at Calvary Chapel Downey, and the first thing I observed right away is four generations. All four generations were there. Some of the dads brought their kids. You know, there's like maybe a couple six year olds, a nine year old, ten year old, eleven year old, twelve year old, uh, Latino, uh, African American, Asian whites, uh, you know, it was was multi-ethnic and multi-generational. And I'm looking at baby boomers over here and Z-generation over here and millennials and Gen X in between. And in the middle of sharing, I said, you know, listen, we're all going to see the Lord. You know, realize in this room, one by one, one by one, we are all stepping into eternity. That's the great reality Every morning, I look in the mirror and say, eternity, today, my, my exchange. Faith, today, my masterpiece. But eternity, every day. And you know, it's funny how the clock moves. Like if you have like a digital clock and you're, you know, your life's an hourglass and you know what's behind, what you've already had and what's above you, you don't know, but you can count. And when one day goes by, like, oh, it's just a day. By the way, never kill time. You redeem time. You don't kill time. You don't waste time. You redeem time. It's the most valuable thing you have. One day, click. That's why I always quote the dates, right? I've done this for decades. One day, click.
0: You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.
1: Thank you.